Hi there, just a quick message before this episode starts. Today we received the tragic news that Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, has passed away at the age of 99. Our deepest condolences go out to the royal family as the world comes to terms with the loss of an iconic gentleman. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chatting Like Champions. I'm joined by my co-pilot Pavan and we have two special guest appearances throughout the episode as we talk about a very exciting first leg of the Champions League quarterfinals and a special on Arsenal. Um, how are you doing Pavan? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay, I'm doing okay. You know, the, uh, the Champions League brought some more action, didn't it, this week and, uh, and I can't really wait to talk about it. So, as I mentioned before, we, we're joined by, obviously, two guests throughout this episode. One is Pavan's brother, Josh, who actually gave us our name for our podcast, uh, Chatting Like Champions. Um, and the other is a current University of Nottingham student who also happens to be a YouTuber called Mahel Khan. So stay tuned to hear from both of those. But let's get right into this mouth-watering set of results that's happened over the past week. So, Real Madrid-Liverpool... A repeat of the 2018 Champions League final. A final that gave us Mo Salah's tears, Carius's tears and jubilation from the Los Blancos fan base. It was a game of the backup centre-backs with Zidane forced to play Militao and Nacho with Varane and Ramos unavailable. And Klopp also sticking with the Phillips-Kabak partnership. Now Liverpool stuck to their principles and played their infamous high line but Real were looking for the long ball every single time. And when Tony Kroos picked up the ball in the centre of the pitch, he hit a perfect pass to Vinicius Jr, who took the sting out of the ball with his shoulder and coolly finished past Alisson. Ten minutes later, and the German veteran looked for the ball in behind once more. This time it didn't find a teammate, but Alexander-Arnold decided to head it into the path of Asensio, who found the net with his second touch. Liverpool emerged after the break with much more intent and Diego Jota's deflected shot fell to Salah, who grabbed a vital away goal. However, the damage was not done, as Luka Modric glided into the 18-yard box, found the young Brazilian, who scored his second of the night, through the legs of Nat Phillips. Now, Kieran, obviously, you know, this game was hyped up to be, you know, an absolute cracker, and it, it, it kind of was, but I don't think many were expecting it to fall into kind of Zidane's hands, as it did. Uh, but, you know, his game plan worked to perfection, and how, where, where does this leave the second leg? I don't know. Zidane's plan definitely worked a treat against Klopp. Um, obviously, as we're going to talk about in a few minutes, Klopp obviously blamed the fact that they were playing at a training pitch on their loss, but I, I don't think that makes much difference. The, a football pitch is a football pitch. As long as it's got the same like good surface, it's, it's that doesn't make any difference. But I think the second leg could shape up to either be Another historical night for Liverpool, almost like what they did to Real's um, rivals in Barcelona. Yeah. Or Real are just going to hold on to this lead and it could end up being a very cautious game from them. Because I don't see Zidane risking going as or going attacking 
uh, going and attacking Liverpool when they know how Liverpool can hit them on the break. And on their night, Liverpool are still a very, very solid team. So, But it, it definitely did go wrong for Klopp here. Um, obviously, they went... Um, they went two down and it, it just didn't look good for them. It didn't look like they were going to score throughout the first half. They were they were woeful in the first half. Um, only in the second half did they start looking like they actually had some fight. And it, it's it's a real problem if that's going to be how they approach these Champions League games. Like I know, obviously, the, the excuse this season has been on injuries, which, fair play, they've had, they've had a fair share of them. But... It, it, it. I think it goes deeper than that. I think they, their mentality this season hasn't been what a champion's mentality needs to be to be able to hold on to these titles. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think you know you do have to stick to your principles, play the way the manager wants you to play, and not kind of you know that's what a great team is. They just play their way, um, and they they let the other team figure out how to stop them rather than trying to figure out how to stop the other team. But you did feel that during that game, it might have been wise to take five, ten yards, take a step back, you know, prevent Vinicius Jr. from having that extra space to run into um, because he was kind of doing it all night and essentially obviously did it on the other side. But, you know, the the Liverpool manager, you know, was was unhappy with the venue, as you said. He claimed it affected his team's performance. Now, the company who makes 3D models for Los Blancos sent a special package to the German. If that result left Klopp disheartened, then a model of the training ground may have just set him off once he returned to Merseyside. Despite the renewed optimism around Klopp's team, they were hit by a severe case of deja vu as the result mirrored the one from Kiev three years ago. Hello and welcome back to Suitcase of a Superstar. The feature where you have to guess the mystery footballing superstar. It can be someone from the past or the present, a player or a manager. Now usually I would provide you with the five clues, but in this episode you'll be receiving them from my little brother. He has been requesting access to the Champions Airport for ages, so I've given in and granted him a one day all areas access pass. Here we go. Clue number one. This player has won two European Championships with Spain, one in 2008 and the other in 2012, and also won the 2010 World Cup. So, in the second game, it was Haaland against one of his biggest suitors for his signature, and it turned out to be a great game. Obviously, this was Manchester City against Borussia Dortmund, which ended 2-1. Pep recently have seemed to favour having no striker at all, opting to start no Aguero or Gabriel Jesus and have either Bernardo Silva or De Bruyne as the central attacking player, which is obviously a very interesting tactical approach that he has uh, taken up. Obviously, um, Gabriel Jesus did come on later on in the match, but um, he didn't do too much in the ways of scoring. Dortmund started very brightly in this game, creating a few chances that forced Edison into some saves. And it looked like they really were going to trouble the Man City defence throughout this entire game, which obviously they did. Um, that, but all of that hard work 
in early on in the game was undone by an Emery Chan mistake in the 18th minute where he gave the ball away and City worked it across the face of goal to Mares, who kept the ball in, passed it to De Bruyne and he slotted it past Marvin Hitz in goal, which was obviously a very coolly taken finish as you would expect from Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, City then had a penalty reversed by VAR where Emery Chan was penalised for a high boot, but honestly it looked more to be a low head and I think that's what the commentators said in this as well. And at the end of the day, I think everyone can agree that that was the correct decision. He hit his um, he hit his shin, I think it was, or his knee. It was one or the other. So it wasn't a high boot at all. It was it was pretty sensible challenge by a Chan. Um, Dortmund did keep coming at Manchester City, however, and in the thirty sixth minute, this is where the biggest talking point of the game happened. Um, Bellingham was thrown goal after snatching the ball from Edison, but the ref blew the whistle before he slotted it away, and what should have been a Dortmund equaliser was ruled out wrongly. So, obviously the ref blew before the ball went across the line, which meant that VAR couldn't actually do anything about this. So, obviously this is the biggest, this is the most contentious moment in this game. Uh, so I, I just want to kind of get what your thoughts are on this and what could have possibly been going through the ref's mind in that situation. You know what? I, I think I, I think it's just the pressure of when Edison falls to the floor. It's a dive. We all, you know, from the replays we can see that. But when you know the player dives dives to the floor, and as we know in modern football, goalkeepers have a lot of protection from the referees nowadays. Any little touch on them from a corner. You know, if they spill the ball, it's a free kick to that team. So, you know, in that sense, I can see where he's coming from because the goalkeeper looks to have been fouled. But, you know, why not just wait a couple of seconds and let the ball roll over? Like, if they've been educated and taught how to, you know, utilise VAR in the game, they should know, you know, don't blow your whistle. I mean, we see with the offsides, the offsides the flag doesn't go up for another like you know it basically doesn't go up until the play has stopped um so you know they can allow for any mistakes to be checked by VAR so this referee I don't really know what he's doing why he's blown his whistle early because if they checked it it would have been a goal um and you know uh, it's just a, it's just a shame for Jude Bellingham more than anyone because you know to be 17 balling against one of the best uh, if not the best team in Europe at the moment, robbed of a of, of his first Champions League goal, you, you've got a feel for him and got a feel for Dortmund. Oh yeah, obviously it was the most contentious moment in the game, and it, it there's there's been images all over social media where it actually shows that Edison actually boots Bellingham, and it it should have been a foul the other way around if anything. Like if they were gonna blow, but it's it's just one of those mad moments in the game that we've kind of come to get used to at this point. Um, another bit of madness in the game, which isn't so much to do with the actual play, it was more Erling Haaland showing his strength where he kind of just brushed off Ruben Diaz as he was through on goal. Obviously, Ruben Diaz being one of the best defenders in the Prem this season, and he's 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 obviously a very physical physical defender. Um, Haaland just ran past him like he was nothing, which really shows. I know we talk about him a lot, but it shows how 
powerful and how big of a player this this he could go on to be because it just it's not every day that you can get someone to run past a center back like they're nothing um but Dortmund eventually did grab their uh, equalizer in the 84th minute where Bellingham yet again uh, threaded a ball through to Haaland who then cleverly wrapped his left foot around the ball to feed it onto Royce in what would have been quite a hard pass to be honest and Royce then calmly finished past Edison to level things up with a crucial away goal. Um, however, the game was only level for another six minutes and City pulled ahead again through a Phil Foden finish. De Bruyne supplied yet another stunning pass to Gundogan on the near post who then slipped it to Phil Foden who finished across the face of goal setting up a very, very interesting second leg. Obviously Dortmund only need one goal but it's whether they're going to be able to keep um, City at bay here. Um, so the, I suppose the question on everyone's mind here is will Pep overthink it or will he stick to what he knows works because that seems to be what he does in the Champions League. He never seems, he seems to try to switch it up at the exact wrong time. Clue number two. This player has played in three of the top five major leagues and has accumulated two Champions Leagues and four league titles. Bayern Munich PSG. Yet another game that brought together previous opponents from a Champions League final, but this clash was fresh in the minds of both sides. The holders suffered the first blow with a PSG counter-attack, allowing Neymar to slot in Mbappe, who scored, but with a lot of help from Manuel Neuer's misjudgment. Another moment of brilliance from Neymar as he caught the Bayern Munich team asleep from a corner. He wrapped his weaker left foot round the ball, and Marquinhos must have been, read must have been reading the same script as he took it down and doubled their lead. Now, you know, the king, Chupo Moting, scored a header from Pavard's early cross. And Thomas Muller also scored a header, this time from a Kimmich free kick. Now, at this point, it looked like Bayern were in the mood for more. Uh, and Pochettino would have been fearing the worst. However, his team responded with another breakaway goal as Mbappe found the near post after toying with the substitute, Jerome Boateng. Now, Kieran, this was probably, you know, a Champions League, I don't want to call it a classic, but depending on how the second leg goes, this could definitely be a classic tie because, you know, it had goals, it had, um, it just had everything really. It had snow, you know, uh, that, that, was a, that was a special kind of uh, weather moment during that game. But, you know, PSG set up to counter-attack, exploit the high line, you know, another team playing a high line. Um, as Liverpool did, got exploited. Neymar and Mbappe ran right, to be honest. They didn't even need a physical presence up front because when Bayern gave it away or lost the ball, PSG were off. Uh, Neymar and Mbappe just sped off and, uh, and, you know, Neuer probably should have prevented that first goal. But, you know, that's what Mbappe does at the moment. If you give him that time and space, that's what happens. So wh where do you see this one going in the second leg? Because... I think this is really hard to call and as much as I want Bayern to go through, I just feel like I don't know if PSG will capitulate as they have done in in kind of recent seasons. We both predicted a Bayern win in this result. Obviously, my key player played a bit more of a role than yours did in this, as you can see on our Instagrams. But um, I think it's going to be a very interesting second leg. As you've said, I, I, I don't see PSG capitulating like they have. Um, they have Mauricio Pochettino, who 
yes, he's never won a major trophy, but he is by all means a world-class coach. And I don't think he needs, obviously like him getting a trophy won't do anything to harm his reputation at all. But um, I think, I don't think he needs to have a full trophy cabinet to prove that he can, that he is still one of the better managers out there. But um, I, I, I really don't know where this is going to go now. Obviously there was a bit of a resurgence from Bayern Munich um, with through Chopin, Moting and Muller. But, um, and with players that they have, like Alfonso Davies, Kimmich, they're not even the attackers. They're, they're just very, very solid players that play behind the attackers. Obviously, they've still got Sane, who, who is still a very good player. They've got Komen, who was your key player. He can have a moment of brilliance. It's going to be a very, very interesting game coming up because I... It's, I think it's impossible to call. It's kind of a coin flip. It's yeah, PSG have uh three away goals, but like it doesn't matter against Munich. They can either fra- they can thrash a team of PSG's caliber, and like it's nothing. All they need to do is turn up and be on their game, and they can do it. But I I just don't know whether that's going to happen here or not. It's I I've given such a bad answer here, but it's just so hard to call. No, it, I I want to stick by. I want to stick by Bayern, but you've got to you've got to say that PSG are in a very strong position now to go on and win it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Bayern created what was it, thirty-one chances yesterday. I mean, you know, I think PSG had seven. Was it seven shots? Uh, yeah, seven or six Something shots, like and they they scored three. So, yeah, Bayern Munich they're they're in, they're on a roll in terms of creating chances, but they just didn't seem to have that kind of killer instinct that that they have been. Um, but they could have. I saw um, I saw some memes, and it was like um, compare. It was like Brighton Munich, and obviously that that caught my eye a little bit. But it it just made me laugh a bit because it genuinely is like a carbon copy of how we play sometimes, and it, it's just unfortunate, honestly, especially in a game this big that Bayern couldn't finish off their chances. Yeah, I I think it is that, but it's also. They did. They didn't do enough to prevent the counterattacks. Like if you know, you have to kind of be alert. If you're going to play like that, you have to have your midfielders and you have to have your defenders switched on, and and you know making sure they can make the right decisions and make the last ditch tackles that will prevent Mbappe and Neymar getting to the penalty area. But they didn't, and and they paid. I mean, if Flick was worried about the injuries before this game, the situation has gotten a whole lot worse. Because Sula and Goretzka are both injured and Pavard was also limping at full time. This was certainly a Champions League cracker, but I am uh, I'm still unsure as to what game Martin Keown was watching. He seemed to be co-commentating from, from an alternate reality with Chupo Motta and Marquisio finding the net. I guess we'll never know. Clue number three. This player retired in 2017. Chelsea emerged victorious in the first leg over a club that obviously picked up a shock wing against um, Juventus, and that was obviously FC Porto, who lost 2-0, and obviously they were at home, so Chelsea had picked up two vital away goals there. Um, Personally, didn't enjoy watching the game, not because of how the ball was being kicked around or how either team was playing, but purely off of Chelsea's 
ghastly kit. Honestly, whoever did that needs to get fired. It's one of the worst kits I've ever seen. But going on to the game, Porto started quite brightly, creating a few chances, which forced Mendy into some saves. Um, but obviously it wasn't enough. Um, Mason Mount opened the scoring in the 32nd minute after receiving the ball on the turn and finishing with a low-driven shot from the right side of the box into the bottom left of the goal. Once again, showing his importance to this Chelsea side, and it was a really impressive goal, actually, looking at it back, but it was obviously that, taking the ball on the turn like that, the pass was also a really good pass from, I think it was Jorginho. Um, it, it was a really it was a really good move by Chelsea, and I know you don't like co uh, complimenting Chelsea much, but I think even you have to admit it was a really well-taken goal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Mount just found that little bit of a, of a brilliance, took out, I think it was Mbemba, former Newcastle centre-back, uh, and then a, a very smart finish, you know, round the corner, possibly the goalkeeper could have done better, but yeah, Mason Mount is just uh, integral to, for his club and his country at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it's, I think it's fair to say that Although Mount had a good game, Chelsea as a whole did not play to the best of their abilities this game. And um, Porto had plenty of chances to level things up with a couple before half-time and there was, there was plenty after half-time as well. Um, but obviously Mendy made a few saves and there was just others that were just off target. They couldn't seem to hit the target very much this game. Um, ben Chilwell then capitalised on a Jesus Manuel Corona mistake and took the ball around Porto's keeper and finished off the move with a, a finish that I think Fernando Torres was the thing that it's like, it would be very familiar to him, I think we could say. Um, it was very Fernando Torres-esque and it was it happened in the 85th minute and that was his first Champions League goal, which was not a bad Champions League, first Champions League goal to get really, was it? Um, so... Obviously, they need three goals away from home now, Porto, to to get this tie um, in their favour. So, I think it's fair to say that's very unlikely. But how do you see the next leg going? Well, and I kind of mentioned this before we started recording, unless Thiago Silva plays and thinks Porto are West Brom and has a shocker, I don't really think Porto have got a chance of scoring three away goals. So, yeah, it looks like Chelsea are going through and I think there's, well I, I, well, I know from all these social media posts that there's a lot of things that are falling into place that also uh, coincidentally happened when Chelsea won the Champions League in 2012 when they beat, I think it was a Portuguese side in the quarterfinal, Spanish side in the semi-final. Um, you know this Fernando-esque kind of finish from Ben Chilwell as well. It's this. It's not looking good. I I really don't want Chelsea getting getting to uh, you know w win another Champions League before before Arsenal win their first. So uh, yeah, it's, it is worrying. But yeah, I think Chelsea are probably safely through, especially with how they're defending at the moment. Obviously, this is the Champions League though, and stranger things have happened than Chelsea throwing away two goals away from home. So it's go I think it's still fair to say that Porto, although they don't have a very big chance, there's a slim chance of them going through, especially after that West Brom game against Chelsea. Surely that, that could be playing on their minds a little bit still because it's a bit of a haunting defeat, to be honest, isn't it? Um, conceded five to West Brom, but 
I guess only time will tell what what's going to happen, and it's going to be a very interesting um, game to talk about next week, hopefully. Clue number four. This former player was rumoured to be the next manager of Borussia Mönchengladbach next season after the departure of Marco Rosa. So we are joined by Mihel Khan. Uh, how, how are you, Mihel? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, we're all good. We're all good. So I guess we'll get straight into it. Obviously, you know, we, the, the listeners have just been hearing us talk about the Champions League. Um, you know, the first legs have just been played of the quarterfinals. What are your kind of thoughts on this year's competition and uh, who do you think is going to win it? I think it's very interesting because obviously you've still you've still got Liverpool, Chelsea uh, in it, and you could and Man City, and you, so you could potentially see an English final, even if it's only just one of the English teams in the final. There is a strong possibility and stronger than previous years, if I remember correctly. Uh, with the way the games went, the PSG and Bayern uh, game was very interesting because obviously it looked like that PSG were in the clear, but then you see Bayern starting to make a comeback. So even though PSG should have shut up shop in the first leg, they kind of threw it a bit. So in the second leg, it could literally go either way. We really don't know. And obviously being a second leg of quarter final, the game's going to be intense. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Chelsea and Porto, obviously, it's, I mean, you can't really say it's expected in Champions League. Anything can happen. Same in the Europa League. But considering Chelsea are 2-0 up, uh, we'll probably see Chelsea go through on uh, there as well. And I'm saying City will go through. But then when it comes to Liverpool, I don't see them going through. No, those predictions pretty much fall in line with what me and Pavan were talking about earlier. Um, as you said, like you can't predict the Champions League ever. I mean, look at uh, Liverpool Barcelona a few years ago. Like that, that was mental the comeback. But um, kind of leading on from the UCL, we saw um, obviously Erling Haaland and Mbappe in action in their respective games. Um, I was kind of talking to Pavan a bit before we started this, where we're seeing players modelled around like Ronaldo a lot more than Messi at the moment. Um, but who would you say is the next like Messi-Ronaldo rivalry? Would you say it's those two, or have you got other players in mind? Um, see, this is the thing. Holland is an out-and-out striker, um, whereas Messi can also play on the wing. Uh, so when you can't really do a comparison like that, I don't think, because... With Messi and Ronaldo, they both can play striker, they can both play wing, they can also play centre-forward. So they're in a variety of positions, so it's more for, they're more for direct comparison versus um, Haaland and Mbappe. I mean, obviously you can compare them as strikers, but when uh, Mbappe can play in the wing but Haaland can't, it starts to become a bit tricky. But given the current crop of talent, um, you probably would have to say it's between them because they'll probably be the most... Uh, valued strike uh, forwards rather in the world right now and also the more, most sought after we've seen many rumours about Mbappe to Madrid we've seen rumours about Haaland to City Madrid Barcelona literally anywhere there were even rumours about Haaland to Arsenal which I won't even get into but um, <laughs> yeah I would basically say that's probably the next rivalry um, because obviously they're also a similar age yeah, it would definitely also take them going to rival clubs to really spark that uh, rivalry as well. Obviously, um, hoping to see both of them at the Euros performing on like the big international stage. 
Um, we've seen England in action in some qualifiers recently. Obviously, uh, they won all three with quite a tight game against Poland. Um, how do you see us doing at the Euros and how far do you see us going um, in this tournament? Uh, see, the thing is, right, England have a very strong squad and probably the strongest, uh, strongest uh, national team that there has been in a while. The problem is the manager is washed, in my opinion. Um, I, I will just put it out there right now. Just because Southgate wears a Marks Spencer waistcoat doesn't make him like the pride of England. Uh, this guy has so much attacking options, and yet he decides to set up with like six, seven defensive players, which is ridiculous. Our strength isn't in defence, it's in attack, and yet he's setting up such a defensive-minded team. There are so many attacking options that you can't even fit them all into the full uh, lineup including the uh, subs and yet despite that he still goes for a really defensive option even against teams that you would never imagine beating England and in the qualifiers as well which is just ridiculous and even in the international league he'll just set out really defensively it's boring and honestly if Southgate um, adopts that mentality in the uh, Euros I will probably say quarterfinal uh, the very best Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I definitely have got. I think I share your 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 doubts about uh, Southgate to a certain extent. Obviously, international football is a lot about kind of being pragmatic and staying in the game. But there is, yeah, it, it does worry me, especially in that game against Poland when we took the lead. You thought, okay, we'll just keep the ball for the next five ten minutes and just see it out. And he subbed on uh, Reese James and went to a back five and kind of Poland just thought okay well we'll just go and attack then and see if we can grab a, a, a last ditch winner so yeah I, I really hope we can get to the semis at least I think if we could do that it would show some sort of progression I mean obviously there's loads of debate about you know starting 11s and things like that I mean I, I, I could you could either give your your full starting 11 or just kind of some players you'd like to see Southgate try and utilize a bit more as you said you know the, the, the attacking options we have are, are pretty wild, but he seems to kind of try and sort out the defensive side a little bit too much. Um, I think, yeah, actually, I think I do have a starting lineup, but this would be a starting lineup based on also like what Southgate would probably play. Um, so it'd be a 4 3 3. So in goal, I'd put Pope. Pickford should not be in that uh, team, honestly. There's no way Pickford should be there. Uh, left back, I'd probably go with Shaw or Chilwell. It's the close one. They've both been on form, so you can't really tell. Centre backs, um, Gomez and Stones. Uh, right back, James. And in the midfield, you put, because Southgate does like his two DMs and kind of need it, I would probably go with um, Henderson and Rice. I don't think Phillips is the person for it. Um, and this is the tricky part. You can play, you can play like Grealish here. You can play Foden here. You can play Mount here. Uh, a lot of people would say Mount or Foden. I'm saying Grealish here because the front three that I would go with would be um, Rashford, Kane, and then either Sterling or Sancho because Sterling can also play in the right. Yeah, it's, that's it's a very strong. Team. It's a very strong lineup. Um, probably the biggest omission that you have there is the whole Trent Alexander-Arnold situation, but. He's, he's, he's just not been informed this season. That's the problem. And when yeah, James that... has been informed, you have to pick the players that are informed rather than players for that have that name. 
Yeah, no, I, d- I definitely agree that he's not been up to his best. And it's James definitely has a claim to that spot. I think Liverpool fans will probably begrudge me saying that. But, um, I mean, I, I think James has been a very solid right back for Chelsea this season. And he's he's obviously a really good choice to have there. Yeah, I, I think I, I think Southgate's probably going to start Walker. Once we get to that Croatia game, I think it'll be Walker. But... Yeah, it doesn't look good for for for, for Trent under under Southgate at, at least. But it seems like a strong lineup. Uh, you know, hopefully we can kind of do some damage and be a bit more, um, just be be aggressive and you know, as as you said, play to our strengths because our strengths are in attack, not not sitting back in and uh, and kind of defending. Now um, on to kind of a topic that's a, a lot closer to my heart uh, is obviously my club Arsenal just saw my team huff and puff for 86 minutes fail to convert any chances against Slavia Prague last night in the Europa League then concede a, a, a last minute header from for, for, from a corner just doing it the Arsenal way so not not looking kind of great for the second leg not not uh, not a difficult task but a definitely a, a situation we could have avoided now, Mihail, obviously, I've, I know you are kind of a bit of a, well, I mean, Kieran said it to me before we even started that, you know, everybody just seems to um, hop on the bandwagon of bandwagon of uh, kind of getting at Arsenal fans. And I did say to him, your job isn't really hard because uh, the Arsenal team does most of the, the clowning about for you. And then you can just kind of, you know, spurt it out back to the Arsenal fans and the, the Arsenal fan base blow up, basically. Um, we, we seem to blow up over the team line, uh, team lineups over pretty much a, a, anything. Aubameyang's haircuts, whatever you want, <laughs> whatever you want. The Arsenal fan base is there. The Arsenal Twitter, man, it's uh, it, it is mental. I just want to say it was really funny that uh, after the Liverpool game on the weekend, uh, it wasn't Aubameyang, Oba or anything like that trending. It was Travis Scott that was trending. And when yeah. you click it, it's just pictures of Aubameyang and uh, a Travis Scott compared. Yeah, it didn't work against Liverpool, but um, obviously, Mahel, I know you are kind of a bit of a an advocate for uh, Unai Emery, and uh, you know, I, I I I do understand, but do you want to kind of explain your 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 position on the Arsenal managerial situation? Yeah, I think basically Arsenal fans just ask for it when it comes to um, getting uh bantered by other uh fan bases especially uh man united man united fans love to banter arsenal um but also like i said they asked for it for example a few years ago on AFTV, dt had a famous clip saying how sick and he starts laughing and that was towards man united fans well now man united are second in the league and arsenal are what ninth tenth and so it's kind of like you asked for it and at the time when the Arsenal were managed by Unai Emery and Arsenal were had lost to like Brighton, I think it was on Crystal Palace and then ended up fifth, people were saying, oh, Emery needs to be sacked, his tactics aren't working, this, that, this, that, um, despite the fact that he got to the Europa League final. I mean, Chelsea are, were a much better team, let's be real, and yet the people were angry over that. But then when it comes to Arteta, it's... Oh, it's not Arteta's fault. Lacazette can't finish. Oh, trust the process. Arteta doesn't control the players. So why was it one thing for Unai Emery, but it's another for Arteta? Arteta is a PR merchant, right? Just because Emery cannot... Just because Emery did not have as good English 
to basically be able to communicate and then ended up getting memed as a result. For example, the Goody Binning memes or where he's like walking and he's like distorted and he looks about three foot, stuff like that. Again, it's just Arsenal fans asking for it. They literally bantered their own manager, which then led to other fan bases bantering them. And now that Arsenal are in a worse place than they were before, you can't blame anyone but the fans. And I know you say, I know Twitter uh, football is different to in real life, but at the same time, there are actually deluded fans that are like the Twitter ones out there in real life. They will say, for example, Arteta is a better manager than Emery because he won an FA Cup and he won a Community Shield. Well, guess what? Wigan won an FA Cup. Does that make them bloody like the best in the world? No, it doesn't. Like, are you are you serious? If the levels at this club, the so-called mighty club, have fallen to winning an FA Cup and Community Shield, and yet you want top top players and Champions League football, it just contradicts it, each other. The right person for the job was, I'm not even actually saying the right person, but the better person for the job was Emery and to give you should have given him time and also the resources because he wanted Zaha, he got Pepe and Pepe is a step over merchant. He does nothing else and he's very one-footed. I mean, you saw, fair enough, he scored that goal yesterday, but you saw he had to use his left foot from the right side. It was like his foot was like that with his left foot because he can't use his right foot how can you spend 72 million on a player that is very one-footed and then when he comes to the league basically does step overs and when he's when it doesn't go his way just looks very disinterested moving on from that when you consider that Emery got to the fifth place and to a Europa League final uh with the players that he had like Koscielny fair enough TNA had been brought in at time but he came in injured he barely even got to use Tierney. Tierney is uh, considered as the next captain or Arsenal's best player. But Emery didn't have that. And then, like, Emery actually used Martinelli. I don't know what's going on with Martinelli and Arteta. Like, something must have happened because William somehow manages to uh, get over Martinelli, which is ridiculous. In my opinion, it should be like a um, Martinelli... Uh, Aubameyang and uh, Pepe situation or Saka um, Aubameyang and Pepe but there's so many ways you can mix it up and yet you don't always you'd never you never see uh, Martinelli starting so fair enough that Emery had his language barriers and he got memed and stuff but in my opinion he was on a better track to rebuilding Arsenal um, than Arteta is. Arteta is clueless, he has no experience, and for such a big club, how is uh, Arteta allowed to do his work experience there? I, in fact, it's not even work experience. Man City was his year 11 work experience, and now Arsenal is his in, uh, post uh, sick form internship. Like, come on, are you serious? Well, I, I mean... I feel like I feel like I've had like I've been put in a coffin and you've just absolutely stuck a thousand swords in it. I, I you regret I, asking that question now, don't you? Well, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I, I, I think we could do a whole another hour on this. Uh, we have to do a whole podcast episode on this. But look, I, I've been thinking about it, and I I do have to concede that I do think Emery had some of the right ideas and. He probably did deserve more time. I I have to say that I think it, it, there was a bit of kind of 
instant reaction, like you said, because of the memes and because of the language barriers. It's it's tough one. I think if you kept Emery, or let I'm gonna what I'm gonna say is Emery is would have been is a perfect manager if you're trying to win Europa League games and if you're trying to cement your place back in the top four, right? But I I don't think he had the tactical ability or the vision to rebuild Arsenal into a title winning side. That's kind of, that's where I think his limit was. I think his limit was fourth, taking an Arsenal team to fourth or third place. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, defending Arteta here and... The first half season was, you know, great. Won, won trophies. Um, uh, you know, FA Cup, Community Shield, as you said. I just... Yeah, this season has been really poor. Like, I'm not going to, like, kind of beat around the bush. It's been really poor. Like, it's one of the worst Premier League campaigns we've had. I don't think we've finished lower than this. So, I think our lowest finish is 12th. And that was, like, in the 90s, I'm, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, it, it, the Premier League season has been really poor especially up to christmas i mean it was it was like it was dire man like we're, we're in lockdown we're watching arsenal like mate it wasn't it wasn't good mental health for arsenal fans went 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 you know into the ground have Rock you seen hard. how many uh, records arteta's broken and not even for the right reasons they're the rubbish records like most uh, goals conceded and stuff like that yeah yeah I... listen and i can't, so, def- what, I can't what defend what the, pro- the on pitch but as Go a on. fan, I want you to tell me genuinely what is yeah, the yeah. process. What is the process? Okay, right. I'll, okay, the process is to um, so the end the, the end game the end goal for Arsenal is to obviously you know challenge for the major honours of winner uh, you know Champions League Premier League title. Now the process is turning this bloated, unbalanced, poorly um, recruited squad that that goes back to Wenger days. Um, and that's I'm not blaming this on Wenger. I'm blaming it on part of Wenger and the regime because the leadership, you know, at Arsenal was pretty clueless. We didn't buy anyone properly. There was a summer where we bought in El Nenny and Petr Cech and then didn't win the league. Like you know, it's, it's unforgivable mistakes. But it's an unbalanced, bloated um, squad that seems to have this mentality of we can do it in a cup game or in cup in tournaments, as we've seen, because Arsenal have been winning FA Cups over the years. Uh, you know, latter days of Wenger, and then Arteta won one. And the mentality in this in this team doesn't seem to be able to sustain a league campaign. A 38 league game season, they just seem to crumble. Um, and that's, that. yeah, that's not just Arteta, that's spanning like before. Now, what he's trying to do is he's trying to implement his style of play, which is, Going back to what many would call the Wenger way, which is, you know, possession-based, attacking football. Now, obviously, it hasn't worked so far. Let's, I'll, I'll, I'll admit that, I'll hold my hands up. But I do think with it, with the right time and the right backing, because that is crucial to this, because, as I said, Arsenal's recruitment has been so poor over, you know, like, basically, since we last won the the league in 2004 the recruitment has been shocking uh, and that's why we've kind of just carried on declining since then but I do think with time and the right money he can actually t- 
take us to the end game, to the end goal, which is a uh, Premier League title. I'm, I'm not even like joking. I mean, you, you you probably do think I'm a little bit deluded because I'm such a Arteta stan, as 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 many would maybe maybe label me. But yeah, the situation isn't good now. But I think next season and this summer is probably one of the biggest in Arsenal's recent history because if we don't perform next season then I'm really gonna struggle to defend Arteta and you know uh want him in but I think he's I think he's definitely the right manager um and he's got all the vision to kind of get us back to the top but it 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 probably has taken an extra six months six to twelve months where there's a lot of pain that we've had to endure and if it doesn't get better than from here by next season then you know I think that is when a lot of the kind of Arteta fans may have to accept that it, it hasn't worked but so for you now want to give I... him another season oh yeah for sure for sure for sure see I would say they have to take the Chelsea approach get him out now and get someone else to finish the job in the Europa League because Lamp- look Lampard well, now... is doing better than Lampard was doing better than uh, Arteta in the league, yet he got sacked. And now two Chelsea in and finishing job job in the Champions League. Chelsea could very well get to the final. So why not sack Arteta now and then get so- someone experienced like Nagelsmann, uh, Allegri, etc. to def- finish the job in the Europa League and win it and get back into the Champions League and save yourself from a show. If, um, if, Emery, if this was Emery in this position, right, yeah. would Emery have been sacked? Yes. Emery yeah, got sacked I, for less. That's the proper yeah. thing. Yeah. So, but, why, what, so do, do, I know, like, obviously Arsenal fans have uh, more, I don't know how to, it's more personal connection to Arteta, obviously being an ex-player and everything. That kind of gives him, I don't know, it kind of gives him like a higher standing than Emery in that yeah. in that regard. Planted, yeah. But surely if he's not getting the results on the pitch... You've got to then stand back. I'm I, I'm all about giving a manager time. I support Brighton for God's sake. Like I've I've got to put up with um, us not being able to score for nearly half a season. But surely it gets to a point. Yeah. Where no, yeah. I, a I, club I, like I, Arsenal has to be performing. Yeah. No. No. Absolutely. But I I don't think the the difference between this Chelsea between Chelsea situation and Arsenal situation is Chelsea are probably one of the best run clubs in the world, right? They recruit they they buy whoever they want because they sell whoever whoever they don't want, they'll sell. 20 plus mil gone. Like Tamori don't want him, they'll get close to 30 mil. Um you know, there's so many others uh, like Morata flopped. They've still got 50 mil for him. Like that's just that's just crazy, but the the point is, is that Chelsea set up allows them to recruit and keep a very a very well trimmed squad that still has a lot of quality to it so whoever whichever manager you put in they can implement their style quickly and give you instant success the difference with this arsenal team is it's been on the floor for years so it i don't think you i don't think any manager comes in and instantly makes us into a top 4 team i, I just don't i just don't think it happens um so yeah, I mean, we could probably go go on. Uh, we could probably talk about this until the Europa League season even finishes. But um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. And I, I mean, guys, if you if, if whoever's listening, 
get in touch uh you know check out our instagram and let us know what what are you what your thoughts are are on this unai emery or arteta where do arsenal go from here should they give arteta another year um Mahel, it's been uh, it's been really enjoyable. Well, I, I say enjoyable, but you know, <laughs> enjoyable enjoyable for most most part until we got to the Arsenal discussion. But uh, yeah, thank you for thank you for coming on. Did thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's um, I I I'm, I'm kind of left a little bit speechless after that. But you know what, Arteta's going to lift the Europa League title. Mark my words. And if you do, if 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 he doesn't, then you can come and send for me on 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 our social on our socials. But um. Yeah, thank you again for hell. Absolutely, my pleasure. Clue number five. This player's main position was a CDM at Liverpool, Real Madrid and Bayern Munich. So, yeah, you've just heard Mahel uh, Khan and our kind of discussion, I could call it, maybe maybe debate. Uh, it's fair to say I, I'm fairly wounded. I am on the floor right now. Um, he did put quite a few quite a few swords through my through through my coffin but you know what i'm still back in the arteta cause we're we're, we're gonna i've saved the date in my calendar 2024 may arteta's gonna be lifting the premier league title and we're gonna be back baby but for now yeah it's it's, it's not looking good for now um especially after what they did to me uh, last night in the europa league uh, just kind of conceding that last minute goal but you know what Arteta is still the man. So, so, sorry, Mahel, but um, you, you haven't managed to uh, to kind of convert me. Um, but yeah, uh, you know everybody everybody has their has their view, and he, he was speaking facts. I I can't lie, but we could have done a whole podcast on it. Uh, but you know we we, we, we ran over anyway. Uh, anyway, to go to the kind of suitcase of a superstar, you've heard the five clues that my little brother has given you. Um, Kieran, what do you what, firstly? What do you think of the clues? Obviously, not me doing it this week. How, how, how did you think he did? I think they're really good clues, to be honest. I, I think I I got it around the third. Yeah, I got it around the third clue. Mm. So there they, they were some really solid clues. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, um, I, I didn't tell him to make it topical, but but he, he just did. So you know, with the with, with the uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach link, but. You know, um, that, 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 by the way, whoever's listening, that does not mean he's going to be doing it every week. Okay. That's, he's not, he's not going to usurp me and, and join Kieran as the, uh, co-host of Chatting Night Champions. I'm, I am intent on making sure I remain the co-pilot here and no trainee, he's not getting a trainee pilot pass. He's not coming back into the Champions Airport. It's just me. So consider that a one-off. Um, I'm, I'm here to stay. Right, so that brings this episode of Chatting Like Champions to a close. Big thanks for listening, and also a massive thanks to Mahel for coming on and talking slash interrogating Pavan, and not so much me, but more yes. you. Um, I definitely enjoyed that. Uh, not sure whether you did as much, but let's move on from that. Um, you can follow him on Instagram at, at Khan. And also go subscribe to his YouTube channel where he produces content aimed at students, where he gives advice and insights into the university experience. Uh, make sure to go follow us on Instagram and Twitter at, at @championsurn to keep up to date with all the latest news and future bonus content that is just on the horizon now. We, we will be bringing you a review of the second leg next week, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Stay safe. Thank you for choosing to fly with Chatham Night Champions and we hope to see you again soon.